Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. You are gonna have to wake up pretty early and work pretty hard if you want to keep up with Zibby Owens. What a force of nature. To say that she has a lot going on is to discredit the idea of a lot. She has a lot going on. She's um, been the host uh, and brains behind and engine behind uh, any number of projects under the Moms Don't Have Time to umbrella. The main thing I think that people know her from is the Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books podcast that she's been doing for the last three years. But as you will hear during the course of this interview, she has done a lot. Apparently she has time. Like I said, we woke up pretty early for the conversation uh, you're about to hear. Um, But she had already recorded an interview of her own before we even logged on. Uh, Zibby Owens is a super positive, inspiring, fun supportive human being. She is one of those people that loves art and creativity and does everything to bolster it and support it and shine light on it. She makes things of her own. You'll hear her discuss her memoir in progress and her latest book and the attendant frustration that books don't stay on shelves long enough. Boy, Zibby Owens is great. I feel so lucky that I got to have her as a guest on Wheels Off. I'm excited you get to hear our conversation. Here it comes. Please welcome to Wheels Off, the great Zibby Owens. Welcome to Wheels Off, Zibby Owens. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, For the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? I am in New York City today, and inevitably there will be sirens outside, but don't worry, it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It'll, yeah, it'll add to the atmosphere. I like it. Yes. (laughs) Boy, and I love the the books behind you. That's uh, an inspiring backdrop. Thank you. Yes, I have my color-coded books and... You know, it's funny. Recently, I posted um, something on one of the feeds and said, where are we on color-coded books? You would have thought that I was putting some incredibly you know, divisive political opinion out there because people feel very strongly about color-coded books. They do. And I have obviously <laughs> drink in the Kool-Aid of the color-coded books. I did this actually in February. Um, I had had COVID and I was in bed for nine days and I don't know what it was, but I got back in this room and I just like every book off of every bookshelf was on the floor and I redid all the shelves and I was up on like step stools and everything. And I was like, I'm doing it this way. So now I love it. 
That's funny. Well, there's obviously maybe cabin fever at work, but I wonder because of the different um, things that happen to you when you have COVID that maybe if there was some synesthesia at work. Ooh, maybe. Yeah. Like you were bothered by the color distracting yeah. mix up. Maybe I just had some like manic behavior, <laughs> some sort of mania because I couldn't stop doing it for like six hours. Well, it looks great. Thanks. Um, so what creative project, or I imagine there's more than one from what I know about you, what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it light you up? Oh, um, I have several that I'm working on at the moment. Um, I'm writing a memoir, which I'm really excited about. And I haven't announced it really publicly, but um, it's due in September. So I have to get cracking on that. Um, (laughs) And I'm also doing my first Moms Don't Have Time to Retreat, which I'm planning. It's for uh, November. So I'm trying to make that really exciting and putting together all sorts of author panels and inviting guests and um, also doing all the nuts and bolts and trying to figure out how to turn my website into some sort of like travel travel, you know, fulfillment site. So I'm basically like running a hotel, it feels like. But um, so those are the two on my to-do list today. That's a lot. And you have you have a staff, right? You have a bit of a team, right? You have I some- do have a team. I have two full-time employees who I adore, um, Nina and Chelsea. And then I have a couple other people who have other jobs too, or who do this part-time several hours a week who are amazing. Um, I feel very lucky about the people I work with. Um, really lucky. I really can't wait to get us all together in person and go for drinks or something. I know, right? Well, Knockwood, hopefully that's coming soon. Um, I, I always get fascinated by how did we wind up where we are? And I wonder if for you, if there was a moment when you knew that you would be and I don't even exactly know what to say, not what to call what you do. You do. You, you're clearly a writer. I you, do. A lot. I know. I don't know what to say either. <laughs> this is like, um, yes. Uh, oh, and yes, there was a moment. Is that what you were asking? Yeah. Well, like, was repetitive. there an epiphany moment? Was there? Was there a revelation? So everything I'm doing has built kind of slowly. I guess what I basically do now is I run a company called Moms Don't Have Time To, which has a bunch of different extensions. And all of the things under that umbrella are designed to help busy people get the most out of their lives. So Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books is my daily podcast where I interview authors with the goal of helping people find the books for them and getting to know the authors more. And I have Moms Don't Have Time To Lose Weight, the podcast for people who are trying to feel better in their bodies so they can take the expert advice from the people I interview and go forth and conquer. I just started another podcast called Moms Don't Have Time To Have Sex with like a Q&A ah. format. Um, which is hilarious, by the way. And um, I have a book club and I do all these. Um, I have a, a couple communities. Moms don't have time to grieve. Moms don't have time to travel with helpful articles. And it's basically people can pop into whatever I'm doing to get more out of the rest of their lives with the limited time that we all have because life is short. So that's the main premise. Um, and the it started really when I got divorced. I'm now remarried, but I have four kids of my own. And the first thing that happened is I had lots of extra time, which I had never had. I was always so busy and the kids are like crawling on top of me and all, all sorts of stuff. And when I got divorced, I suddenly had every other weekend to myself with quiet 
and time and sleep and energy. And I didn't know what to do with it all. Um, so I started writing more and I started reading more and I started this podcast and it's all sort of grown from that first initial podcast. Moms don't have time to read books. And so I just keep adding more and more things on as they seem appealing to me and just keep trying new things. Um, and that's really, that's, that's sort of how it all started. Uh, I'm excited about the memoir. What was it that made you want to do that now? Um, Well, I've written many books that haven't sold. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also uh, released an anthology uh, this February and have another one coming out in um, November, which is a collection of essays written by authors who have been on my podcast. So these best-selling, amazing authors, all writing on topics that moms don't have time to do. So I was really proud of those two books. And I've always written my whole life since I was, you know, my first article was a personal essay in Seventeen Magazine when I was 14. So this is just something that I do. This is like how I process feelings. I do like, you know, even on Instagram every day, it's like my innermost thoughts and feelings. So um, it it helps me through. And the older I get, the more I realize that like, I have no unique thoughts and feelings like everybody (laughs) experiences and maybe they're just afraid to talk about it or they don't admit it or whatever. And I feel like if I say something, then undoubtedly a lot of other people feel the same way. Um, But I just am kind of not afraid to put it out there. Um, And so a memoir, I've written several other memoirs. Some I haven't even tried to sell. I've been doing this forever. And um yeah, now I finally have sold one and I'm so excited and um, it sort of traces some of the major events in my life um, and how books have always been the through line of my story. So it seems like so much of what you do is about community, building a community, realizing that there's a community around you that maybe you didn't even know was there. Um, and it also seems like there was so much happening for you at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, like the momentum was incredible. I wonder um, how did the pandemic affect what you were doing? And it seems like you were able to really address it. Yeah, I felt like as soon as it happened, I was like, I have to help. I Because ha- that's what I had been doing for two years is interviewing authors as they were launching their books. So I was like just heavily invested in that process, the publishing process and leading up to it. And I know how important it is for authors when they have a pub day and all of that. And obviously there were major concerns aside from book publishing at the time, like, will I be okay? Will my family be okay? And actually we ended up losing people and it was very tragic and awful. But um, my other thought professionally was sort of like, I have to help. I have to help. So um, that like day two of the pandemic life, I started an Instagram live show where every day I was like, anyone who has a book coming out, just come on my show and I will give you like a 10 minute spotlight Um, and we'll just hear about your book and I won't have time to read all the books the way, you know, for the podcast I prepare and I do all this research and I read and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I won't have time to do all that. I have four kids at home, homeschool, like craziness, (laughs) but 
I, you know, for an hour on Tuesday, on every day at 11, come on my show and I'll just, well, you can get at least your word out. So that drew quite a following and people started watching it every day and listening to it. And, um, you know, people later told me it really helped them to have any sort of structure to their pandemic days. So I did that from the start. I did a show on the weekends with my husband a few times with other like literary couple type people. Not that he is, but it's fine. Um, and uh, <laughs> then um, what else did I do? I started a virtual book club. I used to have all these in-person events in my home where I'd gather, I don't know, 40 some odd people uh, during the day and we'd all sit around and I'd interview an author or have two authors speak. So I transitioned that during the pandemic to a, a virtual book club. And I started doing lots more bookstore events and press and, you know, going on TV being like, you know, these are my four books of the week and blah, blah, blah. And I also, um, during the pandemic became a good morning America contributor. So every month I, um, pick all like the best books of the month and, uh, write an article for them. Um, which is great. So I started doing all these things. And then in September of the pandemic, after like six months, I had started gaining weight. So I decided to start Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And everything has just kind of come from there. And now very recently, I've started some of these other initiatives, you know, as I'm getting the travel bug again and the world is opening up. I just was like, let's start Moms Don't Have Time to Travel because that's what I'm thinking about. And, you know, Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve because so many people are feeling that way now, myself included. And um, yeah, Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex. That actually started because I interviewed this phenomenal, hilarious British international sex expert. And I was like, I have to do a show with you. You are too funny. <laughs> so that was not like in planned. But um yeah. So things have just, they just keep happening and I'm delighted to sort of go with the flow and, and build it. And, you know, this wasn't the plan. I didn't have a business plan. I do have a business. I did go to business school, but um, this, I did not have a business plan for this. <laughs> this is all just sort of grown. I love that. You know, the, the writing that you do is obviously creative, but I think there's something so fundamentally creative about the way you approach sort of the bigger picture of your company, of your, the things that you make. Um, I wonder about, because musicians, a lot of time you'll hear uh, us describe making music as sort of therapy, like we're working through things. And I'm reminded of that phenomenon when I hear you describe the way you come up with ideas for new projects, right? Like you worrying about the little bit of COVID weight gain. And so you, you know, deal with it by creating a public forum where people can come together and work through it. I wonder for you, when you run up against like the internal stuff that, that shuts us down, the difficulties, the internally generated obstacles. Um, I wonder what have you figured out as far as tricks to get past that. And maybe, I mean, maybe really what you're doing, your entire body of work is the answer to this because you're constantly trying to solve these problems. But I guess for you, like when you're new to podcasting or you're writing a memoir for the first time, how do you deal with the sort of negative voices in your head that try and shut you down? Yeah, good question. Um, and by the way, my husband, um, produces music. He has a production company and he works with um, these amazing musicians. And I actually interviewed um, Dan Lottie, who was part of this band called Danger Muffin. And now they're part of the Moon Brothers 
um, and morning moon music and all of the stuff. Um, I interviewed him. He was one of my very first podcast guests because I was like, you're a songwriter. You should be on mom's no time to read books. I'll interview songwriters. Now I kind of stopped doing that, but, um, <laughs> but his process, that was so interesting to me, you know, how you come up with music and how you write songs and where he came up with the ideas. And, um, I don't know. I found it fascinating. So I'm super into what you were just saying about, you know, your own music and all of that. Um, you know, how do I deal with the voices in my head? Um, I, my sort of philosophy is like, I'll just try it. Like, I'll just try it. It Like what's the, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like the things that I'm trying, I'm not like doing things that have a lot of cost or infrastructure. So, um, and I do that on purpose, right? So before I start anything that actually does have a lot of cost associated, I think very, <laughs> I do take a minute to think very, very, carefully about that. Um, but if I'm starting a podcast, like I've started podcasts and then I'm like, nah, this isn't really working. And then I stop them, but I try them and like, who cares? So I guess part of it is like, who cares? It, you know, if it's low risk and there's not a lot of cost, try, I'd rather try it and see if it takes off than not try it. Right. I don't mind if it doesn't take off. I don't view that as a massive failure. It either means like I wasn't doing it right or there's no demand or I don't, or I don't find it fun enough to do. So, um, so I guess my first thing is, is just trying it and making sure it's fun. Um, and also, you know, I don't, I don't have to, I, I try to get a lot of data before I do it. So I try to be as prepared as possible. So I'm not just like, when I say just try it, I'm not like willy nilly just trying something randomly. I think it through very carefully. So um, before I launched my first podcast, I listened to a ton of podcasts. Like what do successful podcasts have in common? Like what do I like? What do I not? What don't I like? Um, you know, how do other people who have started things like what other things do they do? Like, for instance, this one woman I had on early, early on she had like a three, 3 million downloads and all these awards and all this stuff. And I was looking at her website being like, how did she do that? Like I had like two guests or something, not two <laughs> guests, maybe 20 guests. And I was, and I remember like studying her website and clicking through like, well, what awards did she win? What are these award shows? Like, how do you win one of these awards? Like, how did she do this? And, um, and then I was like, well, I guess I could just start entering awards. Like I'll, if I, I'll, I'll enter all the award shows that she entered. And then I ended up like winning some because like, why not? I, anyway, um, so that's like one thing is like, and then like sponsors, everybody has a sponsor. So I was like, well, I guess I better get some sponsors. So I figured out how to do that and how much money to charge. Should I charge? Should I do in-kind marketing? Um, I've experimented a lot with with that different, with the different formats of that. Um, and then uh, now I don't do as much competitive research in podcasting, um, like this sex podcast, for instance. Like, I don't want to know what's out there. Like, that's not... <laughs> I don't even want to go there. I'm not even like putting it in the search bar because like ours is a very tame, like it could be in a women's magazine Q&A, you know. Um, so, but I don't know of a show like that. So I'm just going to do it. Um, and in terms of memoir writing, I mean, literally I've gotten advice now from almost 700 people. Uh, like every episode I ask a, a well-known or notable author who's written a book that I love, what is your advice for aspiring authors? And I store all that away. And so maybe it's taken me these, you know, three years, three plus years of asking advice out of every single person to feel confident enough to then go try it myself. Although now that I'm doing it, I'm like, you know, 
very much in my head about it. And I've had to use all these tricks to get myself to stop, um, you know, sort of editing myself before I can even get anything on the page. But um, yeah, so I guess that was a long answer. No, that's what that's what I'm here for. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) And to hear you describe it, it really does remind me of the way uh, musicians or even actors that I've spoken to, comedians, certainly um, artists who are creating things on the fly. So much of what they do is driven by um, instinct, right? Like those moment to moment decisions that you're making. And to hear you describe the way you um, create new projects and or pivot from one thing to the other or abandon something that you're not crazy about, it that really makes me think of that's the artistic process, right? You have to trust your instincts, Yes. And I've had so many people tell me that I, they don't like something or this isn't going to work or that's not going to work. And I'm like, I'm just not going to listen to you. Like, I don't, I don't agree. Like, you know, somebody at the very beginning, somebody I really respect who has built lots of businesses and whatever, you know, was like, you, you shouldn't ask authors their advice at the end. Because I bet not many people listening are aspiring authors. And, you know, I wouldn't do that. I bet they're mostly moms or whatever. I think you should cut that question out. It's my favorite question. And um, I've now actually launched like a spinoff sort of two-minute show with just the answers to that one question. Um, and so many people have said, well, I get a lot out of that. So I, I just didn't listen. Um, the one thing that people kept telling me, no, that I haven't figured out a way to do yet, but I haven't given up hope is I, I still view this as it could be like a really cool TV show of some kind. Right. But everyone's like, nobody wants to watch a show about books and talking to authors about something (laughs) as boring as writing a book. And I was like, that's not boring at all. Are you kidding me? Like, like, I think people think like, they would show someone sitting and typing. And of course that would not be interesting, but that's not what it's about. And, you know, I'm, when I see books, I see like every book is like a movie in my head, right. Of characters and words and plots and places and people. And to me, a book is the most interesting thing ever. So when I think about a show about books and the people who write them, it's so exciting. But, you know, I checked, I talked to a few people early on who were all in the you know, TV world who are all just like, no, no, I don't think so. So anyway, I haven't figured out that, but I know that a lot of people have said no, and I am not, I'm not going to give up. I'll find a way uh, to do it. And I'm also trying to figure out a way um, to sort of solve some of the problems of the book industry in general, which I haven't yet, but I'm not giving up. Um, (laughs) You know, the more that I get my own publishing experience, the more I feel like I'm going to be able to solve this in some way, like some of the structural problems. So um you know, like books come out and they're only on the shelves for like a minute and then they're replaced by other books. And like, what about the, what about the other books? Like my anthology, I just went to four bookstores this week and every bookstore is like, yeah, no, it's sold out. And I was like, oh, great. When did the new ones come in? Well, we're not going to reorder it. Well, I'm like, why, why you sold out of it? Like get more, put them on this table here, sell out again. Like, no, no, I don't know. We're just not like, so Anyway, I haven't, I, I, I have other, I'm, I'm working on them, but, and I might not, I might never get to those goals or, you know, but I'm, I'm not giving up. Oh my God. I love that. One thing that comes up a lot in these conversations I have with people about creativity is the idea of sort of calculation. And so when I hear you describe all the research that you do and the, you know, talking to all the people and I guess what I 
what I take from that is that you are really following your instincts and coming up with ideas that you want to pursue and then doing the work to see how it would be done or if it's viable and that kind of stuff. You're not reverse engineering. You're not going out there going, what does the marketplace want? And then trying to create something for that, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, that comes up a lot. Like if you if you create for the marketplace, trying to fill a hole or or make money, then it like it always has this sort of stink of desperation on it, right? Yeah, and you know this comes up a lot in my conversations with authors, right? That there, some authors say, um, you know, I want I talk to my agent about like what is hot right now, and then I did that, or especially like with um, thrillers, right? Thrillers were very hot for a while, and maybe they still are. I don't know. I guess. Um, so someone's like, you know, I taught myself how to write a thriller and now she's like a best-selling thriller writer. I can't do that. Like, that's not, that's not how, you know, I, I don't know. That's just not the way my brain works, I guess. Um, or I'm not good enough at it or something. I don't, I don't know. It just, um, no, I mean, it, 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 my process right or wrong is sort of driven by what I think is fun and what I feel like doing and what I think would help me. And I, I feel like if it's going to help me, it's going to help others. So it's less like, and if it's not, if it's not there, then I guess I could, you know, I could do it, but it's not like everyone's like, we need a book podcast about, you know, <laughs> you, know you know what I mean? Like I wasn't even listening to book podcast. I wasn't even listening to podcast. I didn't even know how to listen to podcasts. So um, yeah, I think if you're doing something creative, it has to be, it has to come from a place of passion because it's, you know, it involves like every part of your brain and it's so unique to you. Um, I think you can do it, but I think you, it'll only get you so far. Agreed. Um, so I wrap my interviews up with a question that's a version of um, what you do. Um, if you were to run into a 21-year-old version of yourself working in today's world, what advice might you give yourself? Working in today's world. Oh man, I would probably say, be careful what you post. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I would probably say that to my kids Um, because I was limited to like actual publications right at that time when I was writing. And I'm glad that some of my thoughts from age 21 that I didn't actually have a blog perhaps at that point and get every last thing out there and have it live out there now. Um, So I guess I would have said, be careful what you publish, Um, do it, but just like think, think twice about what you're doing. And also I would just say, who knows where this is going and that like, that's okay. Like I took a class in business school about like your dream job based on all your skills, right? And I spent the whole semester and put together this whole presentation. At the end, I was like, yeah, it doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> like there's nothing that combines all my skills and interests. So I did something close, but it turns out it hadn't been invented yet. Like this particular thing, it took 20 years. So um, great. Sometimes you have to wait and it all makes sense later and it might not make sense at the time. And you're just like, well, I'm trying this, I'm trying this. And just like, if you just keep doing things that interest you at some point, it will probably make sense. Mm, I love this quote. This is going to be something now that I think about a lot. You might have to invent your dream job. I paraphrased you. Sorry. That's not a quote, but yeah, I love no, it that might not idea. have been invented yet. It just. Ah, that's so yeah. good. 
Thanks. <laughs> well, Zuby, I, I am so inspired by your, sometimes I think ambition is an icy thing, but when I see you and all the, the big ideas and this big engine that you've got, and I just, I think it's really inspiring. And I'm so glad that you were uh, willing to be a guest on Wheels Off. Thank you so much. Oh, well, it's really nice of you to have me. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.